Today's homily might be a little bit different than normal. What I'm gonna do is kind of interpret the instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples. Because if you are sitting here and you are baptized, you are a disciple. And so when it comes to living the Christian life, spreading the good news, sharing the gospel, what does Jesus tell us in how we are to go about that in the world where we are called to live as Christians? And then to kind of make that concrete and real, we're gonna jump right into the deep end and use an example that, at least in my circles, has become a topic of conversation, maybe it has for you, with the most recent overturning of Roe versus Wade in the States, abortion has become something that is being talked about all over again. So, here goes. When Jesus speaks to the 70 disciples that he sends out, what does he give them as instruction as he sends them away from himself to go out into the world? Well, first, he sends them in pairs. He doesn't send a single disciple on their own. This is significant and important. We need fraternity in the Christian life. We need to find solidarity in the Christian life because it's through that that we gain the courage to speak truth in the midst of sometimes hostile environments. And we also need it for accountability. So we need that sense because today we are a minority, right? It's not popular to be Catholic. It's not popular to speak messages of pro-life in the midst of the society that we live in. And to try to face that in a singular way is overwhelming and scary, even for me. We have to have a sense that we're not alone in this. And so to have fellow Christians that we can walk through this with is important. Now the reality is for most of you, if this topic or any big topic of faith comes up in your conversations, probably more often than not, you are alone in that group. But where you gain that solidarity, that fraternity in the Christian life, is what you do before and after those conversations. The way that you are able to speak and articulate these things with fellow Christians so that you can speak them more articulately when you're not with them. Or after you've had that conversation to debrief with a fellow Christian about what took place and how that made you feel and all of those things. We can't do it alone. And another important part of that is accountability. Because an easy thing to happen with some of these topics is to allow our opinion to be front and center when we speak. And as Christians, when we go to spread the good news, it's never about our opinion. It's about speaking the truth of God and the speak, speaking the truth of the gospel. And so we need others to keep us accountable of where that line is between the truth taught to us by the church and where my opinion starts to take over that truth that needs to be spoken. We always do it in pairs. We never do it alone. Then what does he tell them to do? He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the fields. Prayer. We pray about everything. If you are not bringing 
the topics that you feel like you need to speak about to others to prayer before and after, don't talk about it. If we do not bring these things before God in prayer, we should not talk about it. Because if we don't, again, our opinion starts to take over and our will starts to impose itself on the situation. And that's not the role of a disciple. The second part is that. When we engage in these conversations or in this dialogue, in spreading the good news, it's not about my will, it's not about my opinion. We should ask ourselves continually when we're in those situations, am I speaking for my own good or for theirs? What do they need in this moment? How can I speak truth in a way that they are capable of grasping it in this place, in this time, in these circumstances? Because we share the gospel, not because it's kind of this package that they need to take, but because it's a truth that bubbles up from within their own heart that we try to light the fire. We ask the Lord of the harvest. We come in prayer knowing that it's not our will to be done, but God's will in this moment. Then from there, Jesus tells his disciples, bring no purse, no sandals, no cloak. Don't bring anything with you. That's also important. What is he telling them by saying this? He's reminding them of the need for abandonment to divine providence. And this becomes a counterpoint to that temptation of exerting my own will or my own opinion on the conversation, on the situation. Right? We don't come into these conversations armed with arguments and points to make and convictions that we got to make sure that this person understands. It's not the point. We come abandoned to divine grace asking God for the words that this person needs to hear. If we rehearse everything that we need to say, it doesn't mean that we can't come to a deeper understanding of how to speak about these difficult things, but if we come rehearsed to the conversation, then we're not speaking with them, we're speaking at them. And is that for their good or ours when we do that? This need for abandonment because it leaves us open to God and it leaves us open to others. When we encounter other people, the Christian approach to that is to make room for this person in our own life. And we have to disarm ourselves to be willing to let that happen, especially when this person seems hostile to our understanding of the truth. We need that sense of abandonment, of letting go of the need to be protected and safe, to actually engage in the conviction of truth with this other person. And then Jesus tells them to go into their house. That's also significant. We meet with them on their turf, right? And he says, that to eat whatever is placed before you, accept what they are offering you, and don't go from house to house, but spend time with them. See, we don't ambush somebody about these hard conversations. 
We don't go, oh, this person needs to have this conversation, and so I'm going to bring it to them. I'm going to invite them over to my house, and I'm going to cook them a nice meal, and then I'm going to stick it to them. No. We wait till they invite us into their home. We wait till they invite us into a place where they feel comfortable. Then we accept whatever they've laid before us. That we don't come and throw this at them, but we wait till they're ready to receive it. Which means that it's not about correction, it's about redemption. And so more often than not, where the conversation starts is not with statements, but with questions. Because what we're seeking to do as Christians first is not to correct, but it's to understand. We need to seek understanding of why this person thinks the way that they do. Why do they feel the way that they do about this particular circumstance? And this is where it's, it's not about slogans, but it's about bringing the good news to this person, right? It's why there's some degree of good that comes from holding signs on the street. It brings a certain degree of awareness that this is something that should be discussed. But you're never going to bring somebody to Christ, somebody to an understanding of the truth by a slogan and a sign. It's always going to be in relationship. This is what we're being invited to. And it takes time to do that. You're never going to do it in one conversation. It takes an investment of yourself to walk with this person from wherever they've gotten themselves to, to come into that light of the truth. Because especially for something like the topic of abortion, what's always wrapped up in that is a huge degree of emotion. And until the person is able to work through some of that emotion, you can't have a conversation about truth. So you listen. You let them articulate where they're coming from. Because truth doesn't speak to emotion. Truth speaks to reason. And so if you try to speak truth when somebody is emotionally charged, you're never going to get anywhere. But you spend the time to listen to their emotional response to this thing that has affected them in that way for some reason. That you are tasked with discovering why does it affect them in this way? So that I can be with them in that hurt and then help them to see the good news in the midst of that. Which leads to the last part where Jesus says the message that you give to them is the kingdom of God is here. And that might be one of the most important and hardest things to do. Because with a topic like abortion, people are usually speaking about it because someone that they know has suffered from it. And the reason that people primarily are driven towards seeking abortion is because it seems like the best solution to whatever the problem is that they are living. That's why emotion is wrapped up in it. What they need to come to be able to see is how is God present to them in what they are suffering? I invite everyone, I've, the back porch. If you've never heard of the back porch, it's a house 
that's directly across the street from the abortion clinic in Edmonton. And because God is good, it's a much more welcoming place than the very sterile abortion clinic that's across the street. And people who are looking for the abortion clinic stumble into the back porch, which provides an opportunity for a conversation. And if they're willing, they sit down with this mother and talk to them about where they're at and offer them what their options might be. And when they do that, what they have is a texting service that for all those who are signed up, once the person is gone, they send out a text to everybody that's signed up and just says something very generic like, a young mother being pressured by her mother to have an abortion, pray for her. And then everyone who receives that text can pray for that situation. But what's striking to me is that as I receive these texts of these individual circumstances, nine times out of 10, there is some external pressure on this mother that is in an unideal circumstance, pushing in the direction that the abortion is the best option. What they need to come to see is how God is present in suffering. The kingdom of God is here. That's how I understand Jesus' instructions. We never go out alone. Don't go out alone. We'll get eaten alive if we go out alone. Then ask. Prayer is essential to this. Bringing these things to prayer, discerning them with God, and then to not bring anything, to have the courage to abandon it to divine providence. I don't have to know the words to speak. We get so hung up on knowing what to say. You will do infinitely more good by simply listening and seeking understanding than you will with having the best answer to their question. And then remember that we meet them on their own turf on their own terms, that we seek that understanding first before we offer anything as an alternative solution to what they're living. And then we are always discerning, what is God's will here? How do I help them to see that God is present to them in their suffering? But then in the end, what Jesus describes in the gospel, sometimes, that will still do nothing. And you will walk away and nothing will have changed. But that's not defeat. You have done your part. You have started the conversation. And that person wasn't ready at that time for the good news. But if you have approached them in that way, it means that you haven't slammed the door in their face. And an opportunity might arise again but you don't have to control the outcome. It's not up to us. It's God's will that we're seeking in these conversations. And so we can willingly walk away and be at peace that we've done our best and that we continue to pray for them. Because we are called to be disciples. I know we don't always like to hear that because it takes a good amount of courage, especially today, to live that because where are you probably having to talk about this the most? Within your own immediate family. And that's probably the scariest. 
but remember where it begins, in solidarity and in prayer and in abandonment to God, that His will be done and not ours.